Coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. That was wild. It was crazy for me. Uh, and I had so many feelings at that moment. First it was terrifying. Then it was exciting. But then at the same time I was like, what am I mean, how scared of them? Hello and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Every day I come across some of the most incredibly fascinating and authentic people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. Today, I've got someone that I've been looking forward to interviewing since the moment I actually had this idea to record this podcast about adventures, journeys and experiences. Uh, a person who has become a very close friend of mine, his name is Octavi Miro. Welcome Octavi. Hello Louis, I'm so excited to be here. I, I can't wait to get this started. And before we went to record this podcast, I wanted to make sure that we were both as prepared as possible and I asked you to write a one-liner and you came back with a hardening of my skin and a softening of my heart. This is the journey that we're going to go on today. Yeah, I was I was trying to find a poetic title, but it's actually like that. Like, yeah, we're going to get, I guess, into detail, but my African journey was, was that, was about softening my heart and hardening my, my skin, yeah. So you're taking us to Africa today. That's right. That's the experience I had just before moving to Australia. Yeah, it was a life-changing experience. And that's what the Louis Diaz podcast is all about. It's all about life-changing experiences and... It's such a privilege to be here with you finally doing this. So thank you very much for agreeing. It's such an honor, Louis. I'm just feeling yeah, blessed to be here. And we're in your apartment, right? We are. We are in, in Melbourne City. Yeah, in my apartment next to Queen Big Market. In the middle of Melbourne City, a long, long way away from Africa. Far away from Africa. So where do we start this hardening of the skin, softening of the heart story? Well, this starts in my hometown in Barcelona. Um, it was yeah around five years ago when Spain was deep in this economical crisis where there was a massive unemployment rate for young people, like 50% of people under the age of 30, they had no job. But my situation was great. I was working in this corporate life in Ticketmaster. I was doing good money, but yeah, living that corporate life, nine to five, Monday to Friday, three weeks of holidays, but I was not enough. I was not enough. So I guess uh, at what point did you realize that that wasn't enough for you, that you needed more out of life? Because I imagine like for you, it would have been like, well, I'm sitting pretty here. This is a really great situation to be in. I want to hold on to this for as long as I can and take advantage of this um, great situation I found myself in during hard times. Yeah, the feeling I was having is I was getting bored. You know, the truth is I was having a good time, but it was not an exceptional time. I always had all these, I'm a big you know, daydreamer, I would say, and I always had memories of previous trips I was doing in Southeast Asia, India, Nepal. But yeah, in my mind, I always had these thoughts about adventure. And let me confess, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones. You know, like, so am I. Uh, <laughs> who isn't, right? And yeah, there was always this scene in, in my head about his, you know, his teaching in, in, at uni, uh, somewhere in England. And... Uh, he gets back to his office and all these students knocking at his door like, hey, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, uh, I have a question, whatever. And you can see him like stressed out, like what the hell I'm doing here? And he just decides to open the window, get out. And the next day he's in Venice trying to find treasures and, you know, 
so exciting. I wanted to be that man. I wanted to have that adventure. Being capable of deciding to open the window and just throw myself to an adventure. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I remember watching, I think that you're referring to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I watched that film about a hundred times when I was a kid. And yeah, I can totally relate to that feeling of, of adventure that you get when you're watching films like that. And we were talking a little bit earlier. For you, there was like a question, like a real pivotal question that you asked yourself, um, which not many people sort of sort of ask themselves questions like this. So, right. So living in that, in that context where you see your friends, newspapers and the TV news that people are struggling to get a job. And I was in the opposite side, like actually yeah, having good savings, get a good job. I was asking myself, okay, Octavio, what would you do if you would have all the money of the world? And uh, yeah, my, my, my answer was that one. Wow, I was just going to have a great adventure. How about traveling Africa, north to south? Try to get from Barcelona to Cape Town, overland, without taking any plane. That, that should be a proper adventure. Then I was doing my numbers and I said, well, I don't need all the money of the world. So next question is like, what's holding me back? So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to give you two, three months. See, see how I feel in two, three months. If, if this thought of adventure still on my brain, if this seat is growing, I'm just going to make the call. So talk to my manager, talk to my family, my friends, and tell them, look, I need like, you know, adventure in my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start this long journey. How was that received by everyone in your life? That's actually a very good question, Louis. And I would probably say this is probably the, the hardest part because when you are so excited for something that really motivates you from the inside, mm. when you share it from with your family or your friends, with people you've been growing up, um, sometimes you would expect them to be excited as well. Be like, yeah, just do it, go for it. But unfortunately, it was not the case. I was being challenged from people that I would expect to support me. So it was difficult. Um, have a great relationship with my family and my, my friends but it was very difficult because then you had that feeling of like you ask yourself well am i am i doing the right thing maybe to just you know keep doing what i'm doing but it was too strong inside me so i just i just made a call and that's difficult because you're living you're going on a great adventure and not in an easy continent like africa that you actually gonna face some dangers yeah i would say that that lack of support was very difficult yeah was there a point where you were actually thinking of like taking their advice and not going through with this Absolutely. That's part of the journey. That's actually part of that life-changing experience that's going to teach you that sometimes you just have to follow your gut feeling. Yeah, amazing. So I guess now that we're here and we're at this point where you've reached this decision and you're absolutely sure that you're going to go ahead with it, where do you, where do you start? Like, do you, yeah, I guess you've got to quit your job. I guess you've got to try and work out what your journey is going to look like. How did that begin? Yeah, it was about having like, not like a very detailed plan and... My first stop was actually in uh, Poblet. It's this uh, little village in, out of Barcelona that is very important because um, my granddad's brother, he's a monk there. Well, he used to be a monk. Unfortunately, he passed away last year. A monk. A monk. Okay. A man of God, that they say there. <laughs> so, well, that was my first stop because it was a bit on the way. And I thought, oh, it's probably going to be a good start. Get there, get, get, get some blessings, be by myself, get stronger and just, yeah, kick off. So I was going south from Barcelona, going south of Spain. It was pretty fun there, lots of other travelers then i had to cross take that ferry from tarifa to tanger and yeah once my feet was in africa i didn't live like yeah for 14 months so i mean let's take a step back for a second were you what are you were you catching buses are you in a van like where are you what are you doing so i started with public transport 
So I just took a train, buses. I was getting, I was just getting south. I've always had the idea of going with public transport because I always felt like public transport is the way to get to know a country. And honestly, you get some of the most amazing experiences in public transport. So yeah, Morocco was my first country. Then I went through Mauritania and Mauritania was one of the moments where I was like, right, this is the real stuff. Because in Morocco, you get a lot of tourism. But the moment you cross to Mauritania, that's when you are like, okay, this is serious. Because you're by yourself. You are in the Sahara Desert, just with a context that you've never been before. But to me, that was the best. And yeah, getting to know the people in the desert there, how welcoming they are. It doesn't matter if you're not Islamist or whatever. They're just so welcoming, so warm. Um, but I could I could have, have a thousand stories of each of the countries. I just, I feel like we may not have that much time, but... We've got time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess um, you're on public transport. You're in the Sahara Desert the image of that like is incredible um did you have like a time frame my idea was make it kind of a year but i knew that visas in africa can be expensive and difficult to get so i was kind of flexible i didn't want to get there with a close plan i wanted to be flexible and that actually helped because when i was in senegal is when there was this uh, ebola outbreak it was actually lucky not to be there because otherwise it would have been very difficult to get out. So I couldn't keep going through the west of Africa. So I went through Mali, Burkina Faso. And um, in Burkina Faso, after all this public transport, that um, it can be as well tiring, especially for a guy like six foot four like me. I said, why not changing public transport and for something else? And I just have, had a chat with these guys that were crossing off Sahara with motorbikes. And they were like, why don't you get a motorbike? I said, well, man, motorbikes are not safe. They were like, well, man, you're already in Africa. <laughs> Why not? So I got informed and I ended up buying yeah, this local motorbike. By local motorbike, I mean a 125-cylinders motorbike made in China. But it was the best because everybody knew how to fix it. Everybody knew how to, you know, work it out. So then I brought my journey in another level because I ended up doing from Burkina Faso until Congo, Congo, Brazzaville, with the motorbike. And that was, yeah, the most challenging, rewarding, difficult experience. The closest one, I would say, to, to Indiana Jones. Well, yeah, and it's amazing to hear that it was kind of your interaction with people that were there and them sort of, I guess, talking you into the idea of having a motorbike. And then when you mentioned that the motorbike itself was one that was known really well by a lot of the people in the country, you felt quite supported. You knew that if you needed help from them, that they would be able to help you. Absolutely. And honestly, this would be my first advice. If you plan doing something big like this, go local. Because if you want to go fancy with a BMW, I know you, you don't know when, when you're going to get that piece that, that's broken. You cannot go fast in Africa because it's very muddy. And in my case, I was by myself. But as I said, it can get challenging. Um, one of the most difficult parts of my journey was crossing Nigeria. Every time I talk about Nigeria, I get this like hate, love relationship. Um, Nigeria, it's, it's tough. Before getting into Nigeria, when I was talking to other you know, locals, oh, I have this plan, I'm going to cross you know, uh, Ghana, Benin, Togo, Nigeria, Cameroon, Congo. Everybody, like, oh, every country will be like, that sounds amazing, but don't go through Nigeria. Avoid Nigeria. And I just was getting too curious. I knew, I heard the stories, you know, like, yeah, lots of checkpoints, roadblocks, military, corruption. But I feel like, why not? You know, let's give a try. Worst case, I just go back and sell a motorbike or whatever. So, yeah, it was challenging. It was challenging. Nothing, nothing really bad happened. I mean, no, no one, you know, stabbed me a knife. But it was more about this psychological, like, fear. This, in Nigeria, once you cross the border, the feeling you constantly have is being in danger. Because they are not used to tourism. They get very skeptical. 
So when they see a, a white man with a motorbike, with a Chinese motorbike, getting into one of their controls, they're like, what? Who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And at the beginning, I was very, very kind of scared, you know? I was letting them taking the, the initiative of the conversation. So they're like, okay, open your bag, give me your passport. Things get very, a bit tense. They see your camera and they say, okay, show me your photos. Who are you? Who really are you? Give me all your papers. So situation gets a bit, sometimes a bit tense. And this is happening almost every 20 kilometers. It was not fun. But there was a moment I was like, Octavio, you have to get over this. You need to enjoy it somehow. So I said, okay, how can I deal with this checkpoint to make it, you know, a bit more easy? At the end, they expect money, but I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be a part of that, that corruption. So my, my strategy at the end was about taking the initiative of the conversation. Sure. I guess it, it would be so intimidating to be there with the guys in the military outfits and the, and the big arms, like you said. How do you get the courage to take the initiative of a conversation when you have guns being pointed at you? Well, um, one of the learnings was if you take the initiative, you're respectful and especially you smile, you can get through anything, man. And it sounds very naive, maybe, but the next checkpoints, and it was kind of a script for me, it was getting there and being the one asking the first questions. Like, hey, excuse me, how are you, sir? Is this the way to South Africa? And this question would just blow their mind a bit. Like, South Africa? Uh, yes. Oh, thank you, man. Oh, I love Nigerian people. Oh, you guys are amazing. I love it. So kind. Oh, you're always helpful. Well, do you, do you like soccer? They love soccer in Nigeria. I'm from Barcelona, so they know my team. They were like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then I'm from Barcelona. I'm coming from Barcelona with a motorbike. And they just get like, again, mind blown. Like, what? With a motorbike? They were like, yes. I was like, do, do you know Messi, Lionel Messi? And they were like, yeah, yeah, I know them. Because in Barcelona, I used to live next to their stadium. So I just made that, you know, oh, he's my neighbor. And they would be like, really? Yeah, yeah, he's my neighbor. They said, okay, what's, what's your name? So he would say, Joseph. So okay, Joseph, next time I see Messi, I'm going to tell him that Joseph from Nigeria says hi. And then we just become like best friends. Uh, we don't talk about passports. We don't talk about malaria. We don't talk about dengue, we don't talk about certificates, we don't talk about where, how much money I'm carrying, if I'm a spy. They were just super excited. And I would be like, so, this is the way to Cameroon, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, Joseph, man, you're my man, thanks so much. I'll see you around. Yeah, yeah, good. And then I would just, you know, go through most of the checkpoints in a conversation like this. If anyone was just sort of sitting there thinking, okay, well, that's a little bit deceptive because you're not Lionel Messi's mate. You know, he's probably not your neighbor in the context that they thought. Um, but to me, sitting here listening to that story, yeah, sure, it can come across as deceptive, but little white lies like that can change people's experience. And to me, it sounds like changing the way that you approach the situation and telling a few little white lies not only changed your own experience through that that journey but it changed their experience of seeing someone as well yeah absolutely to me that was the way to survive in nigeria but as i said countries like mauritania mali ghana you get totally different experiences you get the most welcoming people even in cameroon cameroon can be tough but going through your with your motorbike through a lost village in the very north and having this muslim men up in a horse showing you their hands in in respect welcoming you to the village communication was totally different it was about all about showing respect asking for the chief of the village asking about their health asking about the family asking about how the village is going always showing respect africa taught me many things one of them is showing respect to a foreigner it's wow can be massive it changes your experience and cameroon is 
such a complex country there's so many so many different tribes and like many other countries in africa you have the the coastline is more about they are more raised into catholicism but not necessarily catholicism but more in a christian way and in the interior it's more islamic and sometimes we have this prejudgment about you know misery and arms and my experience was totally different is where i felt i was totally respected it's where i got offered tea all the time when i had amazing hospitality and i went just to give something back could be you know a food it could be sometimes money they would just reject it they would be like no no to me it's important that you have an experience and respect is a big thing it was a big thing to me. it was a big discovery too to see how a foreigner in the middle of africa someone that they may have seen a white face for months and they just welcome you freely that was that was that was so nice yeah it sounds incredible i'll take a moment here to just ask like was there any thoughts of your life back in spain um there were but uh I was so focused in the moment. Everything was new every day. Every day was a challenge. It's not the kind of travel that you do like, oh, today I'm going to visit this, I'm going to do that. It was about kind of surviving. Uh, maybe the goal of the day would be eat something decent. Sometimes it would be find a good spot to camp. But yeah, sometimes I had those thoughts, you know, I may cross an email when I'm in a big city and I can contact my family or friends. It was about this reassurance of like I was doing right. That was what I wanted. Crossing borders with a canoe, putting my motorbike inside the canoe and I have this blind guy driving the canoe i was just crazy getting to borders and making friendship with sometimes the military and staying with them sleeping with them in the in the office until the next day even riding my motorbike for two three hours by myself in the middle of the jungle of congo and see this black thing in the middle of the road and i just get closer and i stop and it's this massive silver back gorilla in front of me looking at me i was first terrified i was like okay don't lose focus because if you have to turn back do it fast but yeah, the silverback was there staring me for like yeah, 20 seconds. Then he just got back into the bush. Then what I guess it was the family. It was this gorilla with a baby on the back and a small gorilla just crossing. That was wild. That was crazy for me. Uh, and I had so many feelings at the moment. First it was terrifying. Then it was exciting. But then at the same time I was like, what am I may have scared them. I had all those feelings like, what am I doing here? Am I being respectful? I had that feeling about I got in such a sacred, pure place and... To me, I was, wow, this is the wilderness, yeah. Yeah, you've come face to face, eye to eye with a silverback gorilla. He's assessing you, trying to work out if you're a threat and you're doing exactly the same thing. It's so primal, it's so primitive. You, you must feel so alive. Absolutely. And it's like, like going to in a safari like I was, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take my camera out. No, it's about, as you said, primal, like sense that is there and you're like you don't know what to do but you just keep alert all your senses are like super active he was probably trying i know to to protect his family and i was just didn't want to know him but unfortunately yeah some some of these animals are used to yeah poachers so yeah yeah so we're part of the way through your journey how many months in where are we and how much more do we have to go well that at that moment um it's probably half, half the way, maybe six, six, seven months. Definitely, yeah. Nigeria, Cameroon, Congo were the most intense, rewarding, exciting experiences. Um, if I confess, I was a bit psychologically tired of sometimes living in that survival mode all the time. And I had a couple of accidents as well. A small accidents with a motorbike. I fell a couple of times. My shoulder was not perfect, but I still wanted to keep traveling. So that's what I did. I went from West Africa, from Brazzaville, and I flew to, uh, to Ethiopia. And then I keep going east. What it was funny is how, how I had to sell the motorbike. I didn't want to go to a big city and, you know, make all the paperwork. Because, you know, you get into a lot of corruption and lots of negotiations. And so I was in this little village in the Congo. And you, when in Africa, one of the 
things you have to do is in any village, you always ask for the chief of the village as a sign of respect. So I get to know the chief of the village and I ask him, hey, I'm, I'm planning to visit this park. I would like to do this and that. Is it okay if I'm staying here? Yeah, yeah. And I ask him, hey, by the way, do you know anyone who will be interested in buying my motorbike? Because I have to get rid of it. And he's like, yeah, I can buy it. He's like, how much do you want? I say, oh, okay, like $400. He's like, yeah, okay, I get it. And he was the happiest man, like having, you know, the motorbike that, you know, this foreigner brought there, making it his own. It was just funny. And he, I was asking him, look, I don't want to do any paperwork. He was like, all good. I'm the chief of the village. No paperwork need. Here's the money. Give me the keys and we are good. So it was pretty easy. The challenge there was how to get back to the main city because there were no like public transport. I think there was one car every week, but well, we managed to get a canoe with another guy. So yeah, we went down the river for two days until I could get into this other village and then get public transport. But that was, yeah, that was the kind of adventure I was looking for. I was, I was a happy man. It sounds so much fun. You, you didn't have like a inkling at all to ask the chief for a lift. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had traveling with two in a motorbike there. Uh, it was the rainy season as well, so... I've done it, but yeah, you risk a lot as well. <laughs> Amazing. So you're over in Ethiopia now, right? Exactly. Then I'm, I'm in the East, Ethiopia. And yeah, East Africa, it's, I don't want to say easier, but yeah, you have more public transport, more facilities, uh, more, well, you see backpackers, something that it was unexistent in some countries in the West or Central Africa. But it was as well very exciting. It was good to get back in touch with other travelers. Uh, I made real friendships there as well. Like you get to know as well many other travelers that are very, I would say, similar minded. People that also traveled quite a lot in Africa. And uh, yeah, you discover all kind of yeah, different countries. Ethiopia, their food, the history of Ethiopia is just mind-blowing. Um, Kenya, you can the experience was totally more different. It was more like the actual traveling in terms of yeah, you get to know travelers, you get to do maybe this activity and this safari. But I still wanted to keep going my adventure sometimes. So I would just, you know, do my little things. Um, Tanzania is very common to go to this island in front of uh, Dar es Salaam. It's called Zanzibar. Sometimes it's a bit of a party island, so you have for your fun. There. And the way to get there is all by a plane or you take this ferry, like tourist ferry. But I was like, ah, I want to go back inland, but not to Dar es Salaam. I want to go somewhere else. But there are no ships. There are no like official tourist ships. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to this fisherman village and see what can I do. So yeah, I got there and I asked them, hey, is someone going to Tanga with, uh, with a boat or something? I said, well, yeah, but this is fisherman boats. You, you cannot go. You are a tourist. I said, oh, come on. Yeah, but, you know, is there any way I can get to this boat? And they're, well, um, authorities do not allow us, but maybe, yeah, we can, we can have a good deal. So well, we, we just made it happen. And, oh, man, I was just in this, like... You know, sailboat, no engines, a sail, maybe 50 people, no seats, no nothing. It looked like being in the Pirates of Caribbean just on the way to Tanga, or close to Tanga in the coastline of Tanzania. And I was back, back into my adventure. And these little things, I got them, like, a little bit. So, yeah, so many. Tanzania as well. West, West Tanzania, Tanganyika Lake is just mind-blowing. Yeah, and look, we got to know a little bit about Tanzania from speaking to Lewis Haskins in the first episode, and, and it was really great to hear from Lewis about his experience in Tanzania. From you, it's kind of sounding like your West Africa experience is vastly different to your East Africa experience. It's like two completely separate journeys. Yeah, I would like to split it maybe in yeah three or four West. West is it's warm, it's genuine it's the the most authentic africa mali i haven't talked much about mali but in mali you get to see people wearing the clothes that they've been wearing all their life you don't see much westernized people um central africa probably the most challenging one more adventurous the wildest one yeah east africa the easiest but fun as well i would say a bit more safe 
although there is to me no big capital cities safe in, in Africa. And then South Africa as well, kind of the same as, as the East. Although South Africa can be, South Africa can be challenging as well. Yeah, so where do we go from here? So while I kept going, right, I was in the East, I went through Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi. Malawi found this place by the Malawi Lake. This amazing kind of hostel with other travelers and I spent there like three weeks. To me it was kind of like living in Neverland from, from Peter Pan because it's just about having amazing talks with other great travelers and uh, it was good fun. Then I went more kind of west again to Zambia, Botswana, went to Namibia. Man, the space there, the sightseeing, the views you get, it's it's amazing. Um, but again, there was a moment I was looking a bit more adventure. I, I was lucky in Botswana, I met some other friends I did in, um, in Tanzania and we hired a car. So we did the common stuff. The touristic stuff in Namibia and but when I was in Windhoek it's the capital um wanted to visit this park it's called a uh, fish canyon I think a fish canyon but to get there you again you need a car but no I didn't have a car I was like oh let's try to to get there like hitchhiking or maybe by train or something there was a train going south and I just jumped into this train going south and I see that the main road that gets to this park it's passing really close to the rails from the train in a very specific moment but there's no stop so I'm in that train and I'm like well I'm just going to ask the driver if, if he doesn't mind stopping the train in this specific point so I can just jump off the train, walk a bit and get into the road and then hitchhike. I have nothing to lose, right? At that moment, my sense of adventure was like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. So yeah, got to the first wagon, knocked the door, train driver comes out, talking, showing respect. How are you? How is your family? I'm just wondering, would you mind stopping the train in this specific point so I can just jump out and then I hitchhike and see if I can get to this park? He was like, yeah, sure. So he stopped training in the middle of the desert of Namibia. I jump off the train. These locals looking on the train like, what the hell is this guy doing? Some other tourists as well, like, who's this guy? But uh, I was happy. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it took a couple of hours to get a hitchhike because there's not much traffic in Namibia. Yeah, ended up making it there, having an amazing experience. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get from each of the countries. A bit more of a, like out of the road experiences. Wow. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of here and I'm like speechless throughout this entire conversation. I mean, because you and I, we work in a corporate environment and we're so far away from this adventure and I'm, I can't help but sit here and think, like, how do you come back from that kind of experience to this kind of world? That's, that's a very good question. I got to South Africa when I was almost a bit more than a year, almost 13 months. Um, the truth is I was a bit, um, I don't want to say tired of traveling, but at that point I couldn't see myself traveling all my life. I felt like I need some brain stimulation. Um, I study computer science. I'm very curious minded. I like to use my mind and there's something that I could not really achieve with all these travels. Uh, you evolve and you learn and you adapt and you progress and you, you feel like, wow, I've gone through all of this. I've learned a lot, but I still wanted to get a bit more of, of my, my mind. So I was actually excited to go back to work. I was like, yeah, I think that I can start some some other adventure. So I tried to make it excitement. I was aware of by reading other travel blogs that after such a long journey, such a long trip, it's not easy because you may get back home. Nothing has changed. Everybody thinks the same, but you feel like you've gone through so many things that unfortunately many people are not, cannot empathize with. So I knew that that would happen by reading, by talking to other travelers. So I was trying to get ready myself on that. So I was like, okay, maybe, yeah, I'm going to go back to Barcelona, but uh, with my mind thinking about trying to resume my career somewhere else. And that's why I'm here in Australia and yeah, loving it. 
it's incredible to sort of sit here and, and speak to someone with such great awareness, you know, that um, thrill of the chase for something that's new, incredible and unique can be really addictive. And for me, it sounds like you're someone that's really aware that you understand what kind of stimulation that you need in your life. And, and when you were back in Spain, that stimulation that you needed at the time was adventure. And then once you'd sort of experienced, and it sounds like a hell of a lot of adventure, you decided that some of that stimulation needed to be more, you know, intellectually challenging for you. Yeah, I couldn't have articulated it better. Um, traveling is great. It was very intense. It can be intense, but I still feel like, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I love going to the office and no, I love it, but it satisfies me somehow. Um, it gives me some stability that I have traveling and I kind of value that, but I'm aware that this may not be forever. Well, it's not going to be forever. I can tell you right now. That city is starting to grow again. I feel like some kind of adventure is going to come soon. Yeah. Do you have any idea of what that might be? Uh, actually, some, some friends they made traveling in Africa have the idea of uh, crossing the Pacific with, with a sailboat. I'm not a sailor. I've never sailed, but uh, I think that could be kind of exciting or funny, but I'm not sure. Um, there's so many ways, right, to, to experience adventure, I guess, not, not just going through Africa or doing like a big trip. I feel like I challenge myself to have more little adventures on the weekends. Yeah, maybe getting a van would be a good plan, especially in Australia, where this is an amazing country to just, you know, camp and just get in touch with the nature. Yeah, incredible. And I guess you gave some really good advice throughout our discussion today, but is there like any sort of advice that you would give someone um, that was thinking of doing something incredible and adventurous and had been inspired by Indiana Jones or their own kind of film like you? Um, I would just suggest experience getting out of the ordinary, even if it's just for a little bit. The opposite of the ordinary is going to be the extraordinary. So just try to experience that and see how you how you feel because that, that may change your life. That may maybe give a lot more sense to your life. That may, you know... I know, I feel like, yeah, the greatest memories of your life are not going to be probably in the office or at work. So... Just challenge yourself a bit on that and try to make a great memory of whatever it is. Well said. Um, I think you mentioned to me before that you're writing. Is that right? Yeah, well, one of the, the hobbies I have when, when traveling uh, is yeah, taking notes, little like yeah, stories. And uh, not like a travel blog, but um, stories that I've been having through through my, my journey. Yeah, I would say I have almost like have a book written. I wouldn't need actually up to Nigeria. But yeah, I've I'm getting absorbed by this corporate life. I feel like I have to get back to that writing and try to make it happen. Well, I mean, you're certainly invited to be, you know, a guest writer on louisdiaz.com. Um, certainly going to put a blog post about this episode on the website when I finally start releasing some of this content. But look, is there any social media or anything like that where people can sort of follow you just yet? No, yeah, as, a, as a good introvert, I'm not, I'm not great in social networks. <laughs> But yeah, I have a, like a small website, uh, it's called, it's my name, uh, octavi.cat. They have some pictures, some notes, a uh, map of my journey, something very simple that I had there. But yeah, that's maybe the reference point, I guess. Cool. Well, I mean, for those of you that want a little bit more about what we spoke about today, certainly visit octavi, O-C-T-A-V-I.cat. Um, you'll also be able to see more on louisdiaz.com l-u-i-d-i-z.com and the louis Di- at louisdiaz.podcast um, Instagram and Facebook pages uh, but for now I think we're going to wrap this up and I usually end each episode with a customary round of applause okay I'm going to applaud you because I'm really really glad that we, you and I did this today thanks a lot Louis this was a total new experience that I just loved it thank you alright on three one two three <laughs> thank you man 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. To find out more about any of our guests and catch additional photos and content from this episode, find us on Instagram at louisdiaz.podcast. <laughs>